0: have your bibles open at romans chapter 8 we're continuing our series in this great chapter in one of the greatest letters ever written and we are coming to at least my favorite section of this great chapter but it may even be the greatest section of this chapter now i need to say this this chapter just keeps on getting better and better It started with the amazing truth that we are justified. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because verse 3 told us Jesus was condemned in the flesh for our sin. So that we don't have to face his condemnation. Verse 2, we have been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus from this law of sin and death. This amazing doctrine of definitive sanctification. We are no longer under the rule and reign and dominion of sin. We have been set free. Verse four: "We are free to live righteous lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, the reality of progressive sanctification. And then the last time we were looking at Romans, we were looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. And there you'll remember Paul set up this contrast between life in the Holy Spirit versus life in the flesh. And the purpose for the contrast was to say, if you are in Christ, you will see that you're living your life in accordance with the Spirit. And if you're not yet in Christ, hopefully you'll see you're living your life in the flesh and you will be compelled and persuaded that you should come and put faith and trust in Christ. This chapter has delivered a truckload of truth and encouragement and assurance for those of us who are believers. And Paul has even more to say this morning. Paul wants to assure us that not only are we in Christ, not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we are in God's family. If you're in Christ this morning, you do not have any old relationship with God. You have become in Christ a child of God, sons of God. As Jesus is to his Father, so are you. As I said a few moments ago, I'm not exaggerating. This doctrine of adoption is the apex. It is the pinnacle of all of our blessings in union with Jesus Christ. the the most transformative book I read as a young Christian was Jaya Packer's Knowing God. If you've never read it, you need to read it. He says this. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship, establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. The highest privilege the gospel offers, higher even than justification, is adoption. Packard goes on, what is a Christian? Well, the question could be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insight into the greatness of God's love. Where I ask, says Packer, to summarize the message of the New Testament in three words, it would be this. Adoption through propitiation. I do not expect ever to meet a richer, richer, or a more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. Don't just hear it from Packer. John Murray, adoption, as the term clearifies, is an act of transfer from an alien family into the family of God himself. This is surely the apex of grace and privilege. This is the most glorious blessing that you and i have in our relationship with jesus christ and so so this morning i I hope you're ready i hope you're ready to have your hearts warmed to who you are in jesus christ one last quote and then we'll get into the text sinclair ferguson the notion that we are children of god his own sons and daughters lies at the heart of all christian theology theology and is the mainspring of all Christian living. And what we're going to do is we're going to really focus our attention this morning in verses 15 through 17. But before we can do that, we need to set up the context, and it's given to us in verses 12 through 14. Now, remember, Paul has been making an argument from verse 5 through 11. What does it mean to live life according to the Spirit as opposed to life in the flesh? Well, Paul continues, verse 12, and he says, So then, brothers, just take a mental note. Brothers is the way that verse 12 begins. And the next time Paul uses that word brothers to close this section off is at the end of verse 29. So that's the pericope, verse 12. That's a section, verse 12 through 29. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Interestingly, Paul does not finish that sentence. He should say, we are debtors to who? The Holy Spirit. But he doesn't say that, he he just implies that. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, Paul's continuing his argument, life according to the Spirit. If you're someone who lives your life according to the Spirit, you are a debtor to the Spirit. And the lifestyle that you will lead is you will put to death the sins of the body, the misdeeds of the flesh. So he then gets to verse 14, and instead of using the phrase living according to the Spirit, he starts speaking about being led by the Spirit. And I just want you to know that means the exact same thing. There is confusion in Christian circles because sometimes, if I was to say, what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, led by the Spirit, many Christians think of Christian guidance. Paul does not have Christian guidance. Who should I marry? What job should I do? Where shall I live? In mind here. What he has in mind here is that the Christian who lives her life according to the Spirit will be led by the Spirit. If you're a Christian here this morning, you need to understand, seeing you became a Christian, God didn't just save you and then leave you to your own devices. God saved you and then dwelt you by his Spirit, and here's his purpose, to help you live out the Christian life. The Spirit does not come into your life and take the passenger seat, as it were. He comes into your life and he takes the driver's seat. He takes hold of the steering wheel. He set the course of your life. The destination is set by him. Verse 29. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be led by the Spirit is to be led in the way of Christ-likeness. So you'll love the things that he loves, Christ. You'll hate the things that he hates, sin. And so he will help you put sin to death. You got Paul's logic? then he says in verse 14 for those of you who are led by the spirit you are sons of god if you are in christ if you are living your life according to the spirit you are adopted you belong in god's family if you're a female here, you might think, why does he say sons of God? You know, this isn't that gender inclusive. Well, remember the context is first century Rome. And in first century Rome, in Jewish tradition, who got the inheritance? The son. But more than just that, we are truly in the son. To be in the son means that both male and female, we are in the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved son. And all that is true of him has now become true of us. You and I are sons and daughters, and if females, you struggle with that, just remember that all males, you are part of the bride of Christ. There's these different terms used to capture different emphases of the gospel. We are sons, those of us who are in Christ. We are children of God. As we come to the glorious doctrine of adoption, I've got three points for us. Point number one, access. Point number two, blessed assurance. Point number three, inheritance beyond measure. Access, blessed assurance, inheritance beyond measure. So first of all, access. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is a, a, a sort of common belief in culture that everyone's a child of God. And when Paul's debating actually in uh, the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, he says that we are all God's offspring. So there's a tr- sense in which that is true. But remember, he's quoting their pagan prophets. But all in Adam, we've all descended in Adam. But the, tr- the reality is, We are not all of God's children. Those who are God's children are only those who are led by the Spirit, in the Spirit, in Jesus Christ. So in John's Gospel, chapter 1, we read, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And being a child of God changes everything for us. We've got a new identity And because of that identity, we have access. Most of us in this room know who King Charles is, I presume. We know that King Charles is unwell. um, And perhaps we felt that today it would be a good idea to go visit him in Buckingham Palace. So we make our way down and we get to the gates. We say, I want to see the king. And the man in the gate says, "What is your relationship to the king? well I'm a citizen in this nation and I've been watching the news and I want to see the king I want to just wish him my condolences he'd say that's very nice of you but sorry you cannot have access to the king he would need to request an audience with you not you with him you've got no relationship with the king to have access say at the exact same time you're standing at the gates of Buckingham Palace and Prince William rocks up he'd say to the man at the gate I want to see my dad The gates would fly open and he would straight in and they would hug him and kiss him and welcome him into his home. Now, what's the difference? What's the status? William is the son of the king. William has direct access to his dad whenever he wants it. And if you here this morning are in the spirit, are in Christ, you are a child of God. And you have, by the spirit of adoption, access to God the Father. So much so that you can address God the Father with the most intimate term. Abba. Every word God in Romans chapter 8 is in English, apart from this word. It's the Greek, the Aramaic. Abba. And the privilege of being a son of God is to call God our Father. And this is truly astonishing, truly astounding. Because you read through the Old Testament and you'll find no one ever called God their Father. The first time you read about someone calling God their Father is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And and the most striking thing as Jesus, all throughout his ministry, addressed God as his Father because he is God's one and only Son. In his most intimate moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gets down on his knees and he cries out, Abba! And the most incredible thing is because we are now adopted into God's family, we have the same relationship to God the Father because we are in God the Son. We are loved with the same love as God the Father as the son receives. We have the privileges and the access that the Lord Jesus Christ has to his father because we are in Christ. And the reason this is such amazing news is because as we've been working our way through Romans, the dominating image of God has been God as judge. And before all of us were in Christ, we stood before God condemned and guilty even though we probably didn't, we should have gone before God with trembling, crippling fear because we deserve his just punishment and penalty. And the amazing transformation is here, Paul says, those who are justified, those who are being sanctified, you're now in relationship with God where the image is not just that he is a judge, he is, the judge is your father. And you're to have this intimate relationship with him. It's why Jayapaka wrote, to be right with God, the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God, the father is greater. And I need you to see this, right? In verse 15, because we have been adopted, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. If you're a child of God this morning, you need to know this, right? You do not need to come before God fearful. In the sense of that legal crippling fear, you're going to face his punishment or condemnation at the end. No, you're safe and secure. You need to come before God in the spirit as you are as his child and you need to speak to him as you are in this intimate relationship. Now, I think some of us who are Christians, even as children of God, who have been justified, perhaps it 's because of our earthly experience of earthly fathers, or perhaps it 's just because of a of an underdeveloped understanding of what it means to be a Christian to be in christ we 've a skewed vision of our relationship with God the Father, so so many Christians live and they think that God relates to them as as if he's still this judge and he looks upon them disapprovingly and so there is this nagging doubt am I really safe and secure in my relationship with the father is he really pleased with me does he really love me he must be disappointed with me because I know my own life and I know my own sin and I know I I don't live in the way all the time that I ought to you know it's, it's fascinating right story of the prodigal son there are two sons one father and both sons at one point in their journey have skewed relationships of the father at the very beginning the, the, the young prodigal he says i wish my father were dead i want my inheritance give me it now goes off to the far off land thinks that he'll find pleasure joy meaning happiness apart from the father when the reality is he would have found it in relationship to his father When he's at the end of himself in the pigsty, he thinks to himself, man, my father's servants have it better than I've got it. He thinks, if I'm going to make up with my father, I'm going to have to butter him up so I'm going to tell him that I've sinned and I've done wrong. And if he would just take me back into his house as a slave, I would be happy. He's got a wrong view of his father. And that whole understanding of the father is transformed because as he makes his way home, his father comes running to him. He's filthy and dirt, and his father throws his arms around him and kisses him. He clothes him. He throws a feast for him. He rejoices in him. He is pleased with him because of nothing he did, but because everything the father would have uh, did through his eldest son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember the older brother? He's got a skewed relationship with God. Because when his younger brother comes home he says to his father I ain't coming in. All these years I've been slaving away. See his relationship with his father? Judge? Master? And you didn't throw a party for me. You didn't kill a fattened calf for me and my friends. Wrong view of the father. Adoption is when you come to see who you are in christ you are a son of god in christ jay these were the words that got me when i was a young christian if you want to judge how well a person understands christianity find out how much he makes of the thought of being god's child and having god as his father If this thought is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Your grasp of the doctrine of adoption will reveal your grasp of your relationship and your understanding of Christ. By the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father, what amazing access. And then secondly, let's think about the, assured, the blessed assurance. It's one thing to have this access. It's one thing to have this new identity. But this isn't just theory. This isn't just objective truth. Now, this is going to be you and I's subjective experience. So verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 15, don't you love this, right? Here's how we give testimony to our status as children of God. We cry unto God, Abba, Father. But in this verse, we're told there's another way that we know that we're his children. God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that the testimony of two witnesses was required to establish truth. Well, here you got it. The Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit and my spirit that we are children of God. Now, I know that even as I say this, some of you here, you actually struggle with blessed assurance Jesus is yours. And I can tell you why you struggle with that. Because the one thing Satan cannot change about you is your status with God. He cannot unmake you a child of God. But what he can do and what he does do is he launches all out assault on you so that you do not know the enjoyment of your status as a child of God. He makes you doubt who you are as a child of God. He brings up your past. So that you start thinking, I don't have a future with God. You need to remind Satan when he brings up your past, you know his future. It's ended. And you have a glorious future as we're going to see in a few moments. Because you're a child of God. The greatest future. Can you remember the last time that you experienced the Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you're a child of God? If you're a Christian here this morning, see, the moment you became a Christian, it's highly likely that that is exactly what happened. You know what that experience is? It's when you make the discovery, not only did Jesus live, die, and raise, but he lived for me. He died on the cross for my sins. Because he loves me. God loves me. He was raised for me. Salvation is mine. He wants to be with me for all eternity. I couldn't do anything to earn. I couldn't do anything that deserved it. But he loves me. Some of you, the last time you had this experience, it was when you sinned spectacularly. You strayed from the Lord and then his spirit convicted you of your sin and you found yourself throwing yourself on the floor to go back to God. And in those moments of repentance, it's often after spectacular sin that God delights to remind us, you're my child. I love you. There is nothing you could do that would ever make me love you any less. And there's nothing you could ever do that would make you love you any more than I already do. Sometimes the moments where the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit is when we're in church and God's word is being read or we're singing a hymn or we're singing a psalm and it's like the truth of God comes afresh with power because his spirit testifies with our spirit. We're children of God. In church, we've got to make this our prayer because Satan does not want us to enjoy blessed assurance. God, please, would you make Sundays a day where your spirit takes the truth of who we are and applies it to the spirit within us I've got a mud stain on my shirt under my tie it's because I picked up my daughter Ellie this morning and tried to get her into the car and she'd walked around in mud (laughs) common experience Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used this illustration and it hit me after this experience he said picture a father walking along the road with his little boy they're holding hands The little boy knows that this man is his father and that his father loves him. But suddenly the the father stops, picks up his boy, lifts him up into his arms, embraces him and kisses him. And he puts him down and they continue walking. The boy is no more a son when he is being embraced than he was before. The father's action has not changed the relationship. It has not changed the status of the boy. But oh, said Lloyd-Jones, the difference is in the enjoyment. That's what happened with Ellie this morning. She's my daughter and I love her. But to pick her up and even get to the dirty, but just to hold her, to know that God loves me and he wants me to enjoy his love. So we've looked at access, blessed assurance, but there's more. We have an inheritance beyond measure. We're just going to look at the first part of verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Paul saves the best, the last. Paul's talked about our present enjoyment of the benefits of adoption, that we have access, that we can have blessed assurance here and now, but now he wants to paint before us our future, set before us our future. We are adopted, and because of our adoption, we've been written into the will of God. And what we discover is that not only are our names in the will of God, God will never die, But he has promised to give us our inheritance at that last day. He is keeping our inheritance in heaven and it will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven and protected by God's power. And the big question is what is your inheritance if you're a child of God? Do you know your inheritance? This is the truth that just ought to melt all of our hearts our inheritance is god the father god the son and god the spirit in fact god loves us so much that to seal our inheritance to us he gave us his holy spirit he's the deposit and the guarantee that god is ours more specifically the way we will receive our inheritance is christ is ours and we are his And so staggering is this inheritance that when we see what we will inherit Christ in that moment we'll be made like him. In that moment we will be conformed to his image. In that moment we will experience the smile of God the Father upon us like never before. Because we'll be perfect. And our Affections won't be tainted or twisted by our sinful nature. But they will be able to receive the love of God the Father who we will inherit. He will be ours and we will be his forevermore. In church, there is no brighter future than that. Paul says all of this because he wants us to have blessed assurance. There is now no condemnation there will be no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants you to know the pinnacle, the apex of the blessings that you have in your union with Jesus Christ is you are a son. You are a child of God. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, the discovery that you that this passage really wants you to make is that You come to faith by believing in Jesus. You don't earn his love. You don't deserve his love. But he adopts you like adoptive parents. And he gives you everything that you don't deserve. Christianity is not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's about adoption. And then if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, this is the greatest privilege you have. You're forgiven, you're indwelt, you belong to God, the Father. You are his son. He'll never revoke his adoption. You will receive your inheritance. You are an heir with Jesus. And God doesn't want you just to know this in your head. He wants you to know this in your heart. So as we close, let's just bow our heads. And just in a silence. Let's ask God to help us enjoy his love for us. Let's pray. Try with John the Apostle. Behold what manner of love that you have given us that we even I should be called a child of God. Lord, help us to know more than just the fact of our adoption doctrinally. Help us to taste its sweetness and to rejoice in such love. God, for those who have had a skewed vision, for those who have had a skewed vision of you, we pray that their thinking would be transformed and renewed this morning to have right thinking of you. Would they feel your embrace, your kiss, your lavish love? Would they know your enjoyment? Lord, for those who have struggled to just know assurance and constantly have minds that feel the assault of satan in the past and brought up would they know that they have a glorious future lord would all of us leave here knowing this morning that we have a perfect father an incomparable father an incomparable elder brother that you're going to make us like we love you for that thank you for the spirit thank you for giving us life in the spirit and thank you that as we go into this week, we will be led by Him. And it's in His, and it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.